everybody, it's Blair and Barker. We've just got a couple of weeks left until the start of spring training. Pitchers and catchers participating in the World Baseball Classic are going to report on February 13th. The reporting dates for those not taking part in the tournament are February 15th to February 17th. And position players, if they're in the WBC, they're going to report to camp on February 16th. Non-participating players will arrive either February 20th or February 21st, but uh, I can tell you that there are already a number of Blue Jays down in Dunedin taking advantage of the club facilities. As finally, finally, the just, just a little bit of a light here, just a little bit of a light, the 2023 baseball season about to start. And Kevin Barker, I've got two things we can talk about out of the gate before John Olrud joins us to talk about the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame and before we get to listener questions. Two things we need to talk about. I'm going to give you a choice. Chad Green or Alec Manoa and Anthony Recker? Where do you want to start? <laughs> you, want to, you want to go happy or you want to, go, you want to get me fired up? I want to get you fired up. I want you coming out of the gate. I want then you to come out I, hot here. Then I'm going to take, I'll take answer B. Answer B. Question B. B. Question B. B was right, the record Manoa. Yeah. Well, I'll give you a little bit of background about, uh, uh, of this whole thing. Now, a- a- Anthony record, uh, is an analyst on the MLB Who? network. Anthony record. We've had him on our show. Be nice to him. And, uh, as part of a discussion, about a panel discussion about the best pitchers under the age of 30. Anthony Recker, uh, well, basically, this is what Anthony Recker said. Alec Manoa, I love you, Alec. Just show me you're willing to put a bit more time in the gym and that you're going to be there consistently for a bit longer. I still love you. Alec Manoa, of course, responded, Hey, Anthony Recker, my job isn't to please you. You are an outsider. You don't know me or my work ethic. What I do in the gym has clearly worked. Check the numbers. Sucks you can't say the same for yourself. And then Alec Manoa also invited <laughs> Anthony Recker. Also invited oh. Anthony Recker to come on down to uh, to, uh, to to his gym and uh, and 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 see. <laughs> Quote, if you want to see how an all-star, first-team, all-NBA, and Cy Young finalist trains, there you go. So, uh, yeah, that and, and, you know, Kevin, look, I mean, a couple of things here. I mean, my first thought is, remember how Marcus Stroman used to get upset when people would say he was too small? Now we got a pitcher who's yep. getting upset because people say, people say he's, he, he's too big. Um, look, I mean, I've got my own, I got my own thoughts about this. My, generally... My opinion is you don't get into a battle with people in social media. Um, you know, hey, if, if you need if you need stuff to motivate you, I, I guess that's one thing. But, man, I, I'm certainly not going to get into a uh, battle with the dude who hit 199 in 206 career games. I'm just not. Yeah, yeah I just don't get it with Alec Manoa. I, I, I don't understand why you would care – what that person said on the MLB network. I, it just uh, it amazes me that you're sitting around. You're you're you had an unbelievable year. The future is so bright for Alec Manoa. I just don't understand why you would sit around on Twitter, which is the worst thing in the world to just 
start tweeting things back and forth to people, quite frankly, that their opinion really doesn't matter, right? The only the opinion that matters is what you know that you're doing in the offseason to make yourself at least the same pitcher you were the year before, which is really good, a really, really good pitcher. You're on the brink of being a great pitcher. I just, For me, I just don't understand that part of it. That, that for me, is the kid coming out in Alec Manoa. If you need to do that quietly, take the comment or the tweet or whatever the MLB or whoever ran that out there, blow it up, hang it up in your gym, let it, let it motivate you that way. Because i got to be honest with you, it's not going to be the last time somebody says that Alec Manoa is a big fella. I mean, let's quite frankly say it. He is a big fella. Maybe that's why he's so good. The invisible, you know, he hides the ball coming up his leg, and maybe that's why it is as good as it is. I mean, it's not like he throws 99. There has to be something to it. Not That's the beauty of baseball, Jeff, is not everybody is equal. That, that is why it's great. You know, everybody, you see small guys, you see big guys. There's all kinds doing great things at the big league level. I just don't understand if you're Alec, why you're sitting around and you care about a well, guy who hit buck 99 saying listen, the things he's saying on the MLB network. It just makes me want to scratch my head. I don't get listen, it. Listen, but you, you, know as, you know as well as I do the reason why. And, and I, can, I can understand the reason why. As much as I'm saying you don't get into a Twitter dispute with a guy and I, and I, or with anybody. And and I truly believe that, um, but at the same time, you know as well as I do, that the MLB Network, all the dudes that are working out in their in their gyms, all the dudes that are working out at their facilities, that's on in the background, right? That's that, that's kind of the background noise. I mean, you got it on at home. I got it on at home when I'm doing stuff. It's it's kind of my that's my thing, and you know that. Guys in the industry, his teammates are and and are looking at this. And they may not agree with it, but you know that Alec Manoan knows that everybody's seeing it, and it's not. It it doesn't necessarily surprise me. Uh, at the end of the day, I'm not certain it matters. It's not the first time that somebody's called Alec Manoa. I shouldn't say called him out. It's not the first time that somebody has mentioned on social media they thought Alec Manoa was a big man. Um, and and frankly, f- frankly, it, w- it won't be the last. But uh, you know, Anthony Recker, of course, immediately backpedaled. I mean, he backpedaled like I don't know who going after a going after a, 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 a fly ball. But um, yeah, it was. Uh, it, I mean, if, if nothing else, you know, you get to a certain point in the season, in the off season, where it's time. I always tell it, it's time. Guys start – it's the same thing. You're going to get that point in spring training where guys are going to get the red ass. It's time to get going. It's time to start playing the, the real games. And I, I think more than anything else, that's what this is a sign of. This is a sign of, hey, let, let's it, – it's time to start working. I get, the red, I get the red ass all the time, but I don't go on Twitter and say things about people that say things about me. I don't care. Like that, that's where you got to be in baseball. You got to have thick skin. You got to understand who you are as a player and what makes you great. And maybe this is what but makes I think, Alec great is all the things that come along with being Alec Manoa. I, I just don't understand why I get it. I'm with you that it's on in the gym and you hear him saying it and just, you know, you're, you're lifting and the veins popping out of your head and it ticks you off and you just can't wait to run to Twitter and say something about it. I just don't understand. It just doesn't make any sense to me. We all know how good he is. We all know how great he can be. 
right? It's the consistency of release point and, and just everything that you see on an, on a every five day basis with Alec Manoa that made him great last year that you could just see, man, how much better he can be if he just makes some little minor yeah. tweaks and does some little other things differently. It just, and I look. just don't understand that. I, I hope this is a learning. This is just me, Jeff. I hope this is a learning experience and Take that in stride. Understand if that's what it takes to motivate you to a whole different level, blow it up big, put it in your gym, and, and read it all the time and let it motivate you that way. Well, here's the other thing, Kevin. Alec Manoa has got no worries about how the industry views him. He's been to the All-Star game. He's going to get Cy Young votes. He's. I mean, look. We watch the MLB Network. They sing his praises an awful lot. There, there are. You know, look at the national writers. Look at dudes like Jeff Passan and that. They absolutely love Alec Manoa. Gets Alec Manoa gets a ton of love, and and he rightfully should. so. And rightfully absolutely. so. It's a hell of a story. He's a guy that you cheer for. Uh, but but this is. I I kind of see this. Um, as I said, I think two months down the road. It's probably not. It's probably not going to matter, Jeff. But. It ain't Pedro Martinez that said it, okay? Like it's you know it's not yeah. a, it's not a it's not an elite pitcher who's been there and done it and understands what it takes to do it long term. So who cares? Like you know, wash it away and move on and be the best Alec Manoa you can be. All right, I just wanted to get you fired up. Let's talk about Chad Green. Um, the Blue Jays announcing that they have signed. Uh, Chad Green to, well, some people, it's a complex deal. Uh, it's a creative contract. Basically, right, Green will make $2.25 million in 2023. Now he's coming off Tommy John surgery. Uh, don't know when he's going to pitch this year, frankly. Uh, he'll get $2.25 million in 2023 at the end of the season. The Jays can pick up a three-year option that will keep him in Toronto through the end of 2026 at $9 million per year. If they decline the team option, he has the option to tack on one more year to the deal worth $6.25 million. If he's not interested, the Jays get the chance to exercise another team option for two years and $21 million. And, of course, there's escalators built in based on playing time. And what this means, basically, if the Jays are satisfied with the health of his arm, they could have Chad Green for four years. If they're not, he could test free agency in November. This, to me, is... And, and immediately as soon as they sign this... First of all, a healthy Chad Green is one of the two best relievers in this bullpen. A healthy, Chad, a healthy Chad Green answers just about every question we have had about the Jays' bullpen. I'd still like another arm. But, again, if a healthy Chad Green, you're feeling pretty good about yourself. Now, immediately, of course, people tried to draw a comparison between this and the Kirby Yates deal. And the Kirby Yates deal, which, you know, cost the Jays, what, five and a half million, whatever it was, uh, it's a completely different kettle of fish in this. First of all, Chad Green's a better pitcher than Kirby Yates. My humble opinion, Kevin. Secondly, this is the ultimate low-risk deal. Basically, what they've done here, and it's smart for Chad Green and his agent, because what they've done now is they've got Chad Green with an organization that's going to take care of him, right? He's got the facility now he can use while he rehabs. He 
will be under control of a team that has a vested interest in getting him as healthy as possible. I just don't look. This is a team that's spending. What did I say? I think they're around two hundred and forty million or whatever the hell the payroll is right now. If it's going to cost this much to possibly have Chad Green around for two or three more years, let alone maybe even in August or September, hell, I'll sign on to that any day. Absolutely, I'll sign on to that. Yeah, when he's when he's healthy as Vlas, he's there. Uh, he's a good pitcher. He's been there, done it before. Obviously, with being with the Yankees, you know, it's, there's no more pressure than coming out big of the stage. Man, the games matter the most, obviously. When you're with the Yankees, Jimmy Garcia's deal's up at the end of the year, right? He signed a two-year deal. I think this is the last year in that. This makes total sense for me. This is more about next year than it is this year. You mentioned the Tommy John. Who knows when he's going to come back and pitch. Uh, But, again, it's when he's healthy. Obviously, he'll be a year older. You know, he's in his early 30s, which I'm not sure this day and age means a whole ton. Mm -hmm. You get a good year or two. You get a good year or two out uh, out of Chad Green. That makes up for what you don't have. I'm with you, but they need more, right? Right. That's that's. This is one of those things. Even if he did pitch this year, you're hoping that the, that at the trade trade deadline they're doing some things that need to be done to solidify and give John poor little John Snyder some no brainers. Like like in the seventh inning, get the dude loose. In the eighth inning, get the dude loose. I got my ninth inning. If I hopefully in Jordan Romano, that way you have three guys and you can mix and match. Up until that point, right now they don't have those in my mind anyway. So yeah, this is a nice little move. You're, you're hoping, I'm I'm assuming next year because of who's not going to be there that he's going to fill in the blanks and and be the guy with experience. He can close. He can pitch in the eighth inning. He can pitch in big games. That's that's where this team's at. It's not about the the guys who shouldn't be in the big leagues anymore. It's about filling the blanks with the Chad Greens of the world. And if you're a Jays fan, you got to be excited about this. Yeah, I'm looking at uh, the Jays list of contracts right now Hyunjin Ryu's off the books next year that's 20 million Jimmy Garcia's off the books next year that's what that's 5 million uh, you know Adam Simber Trevor Richards all these guys I mean there there there's there will be some turnover in season and also at the end of the season with the Blue Jays bullpen you know let's see what some of these young guys Hagen Danner Let's see what and 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 Yosver Zulueta. Let's see what they do this year. Let's see if they can contribute. Of course, hopefully you'll have some idea about what Nate Pearson is at the end of the year. So you're right. When when it's time to pay Chad Green, the bullpen should be. You should be able to do that without it being too hard a financial nut to swallow. Basically, right. I, it, it, there shouldn't be that much of an issue. Jordan Romano is not going to be making a ton of money. He's going to he's going to be making good money. But it's not like you're going to be paying him $20 million. So it's it it's it's a deal that makes a lot of sense for the Blue Jays. And I keep getting back to this. We don't – we have an understanding of what the Tommy John timeline is. But sometimes guys come back quickly. And it's possible, Kev, that, that Chad Green is, is, is appearing in big games for this team this year. Yeah, it's twelve uh, to eighteen I, months. I, right, again, to people. me, it's a it's a it's a smart deal. It's a smart deal for both sides, and I'll credit Chad Green's agents as well. In this market, in this market, they've done a nice job for their guy. As I said, they basically bought him time to rehab with an organization. Oh, and by the way, an organization that will probably be in the playoffs. I I I, I think it's a terrific deal. 
Yeah, I think it's a, it's cut and dry with, with Chad Green. He's throwing hard. He's really good. He's not. He he gives up hard contact. You give up hard contact. I don't know if you've noticed, Jeb, but the, the fence is a little closer at the Rogers Center. So you need some guys who got some swing and miss. He's got some swing and miss in his stuff whenever he's throwing the 97, 98s with the big yacker. And, you know, he can throw away to right-handed hitters. He's not afraid to pitch the contact when he's got the velocity. I'm with you. Yeah, again, this just gives – there has to be a time in, in – in this stretch where it's not about matching up, thinking two or three innings ahead. It's about, I got an eighth inning guy. I got a seventh inning guy. And I think for me anyway, adding a guy like Chad Green, when he's a hundred percent, not 65%, when he's a hundred percent, he's one of those no brainers. Nowhere, no matter where you're at in an order, right? It's not mm-hmm. about two lefties and a righty. You got to get the lefty up. Cause you can pitch to those two guys. You keep it on the ground. It's not about that. I got an eighth inning guy, I got a seventh inning guy, I got a ninth inning guy. For me, he's one of those three guys, and it makes a ton of sense to go out and give him a little bit of money, let him figure it out, right, be a part of the team and sort of try and get his feet wet that way in a championship season. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of it. But I I said it when you asked me a couple of podcasts ago, uh, you know, what grade I gave the Blue Jays for their offseason. And it's still a B-. minus. I gave it a B-, minus, still B-. minus. I just think the bullpen is – when push comes to shove, we this is basically the same bullpen they had last year in the playoffs. How'd it look? That's my point. They're a playoff team for me with the lineup, the defense, and the outfield, the the rotation, the pieces they've added there. It keeps guys in the minor leagues who are not big leaguers. That's what they've done. But when push comes to shove, you're facing the elite, elite teams. You got faith in Zach Pop, Pop. You got faith in Adam Simber, some trickery. Tim Mason, we've seen that road. So, for me, again, they need it's, more Chad Greens. Yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty clear though, Kevin, that this organization is counting on one of those guys in the minors to be a contributor this year. Maybe. At some point, they've got to figure out what they have in in in, in Zulueta. They just do. They they have to figure out at some point what they have in him. He's been in the organization long enough now. I mentioned Nate Pearson. At some point, you gotta the rubber has to meet. Well, the rubber met the road with Nate Pearson. I would argue last year. But Hagen Danner, their guys, the Jays, I believe, think that they have a back-of-the-bullpen arm in the minors. One of their guys, one of their homegrown guys. One of those guys is going to have to come through for the team this year. Is going to have to be pitching significant innings for the team this year. And you know, hey, that's why you that's why you, that's why you have these guys. But uh, yeah, I, listen, if if the Jays could go out and add another arm, uh, a, a no brainer. I look, I mean, I look at the free agent guys out there. Right? I don't see a no brainer out there anymore. I, I don't see a guy necessarily that you bring in and you go, man, that upgrades my bullpen. I don't see anybody out there. I don't think that I bring in and go, there's my there's my eighth or ninth inning guy. Well, this is well, kind of what you, you have, and, and and you can also let's be clear, you, yeah, the trade deadline you can add an arm too. If no you question. Want. Well, they're banking on the rotation, right? You, you're adding experience. You're hoping that Manoa and Gosman come back and be not good or great elite. That that's what you're hoping. Uh, you're hoping that Bassett comes in, he's really solid and keep it in the yard and get the weak contact on the fly ball because he's a fly ball pitcher. And the one guy that you're in love with. And we're going to continue to talk about him as Barrios, right? You know, it's not the innings. He, he had some decent innings last year. But it's the consistency of 
every five days giving them a chance. It's not the one and the third, come out two starts later and give them five innings. No, you got to consistently see the five or six innings, and that'll hide the weakness they have in the bullpen. It'll make it easier for the pitching coach, the manager, because now they don't have to use guys they don't want to use early in games, and they can use their elite guys, and that's how you win more baseball games. So, Jeff, you know, it's just funny. We can talk about their offense. We can talk about their outfield defense, which is a big deal, but it'll come down to starting pitching in their bullpen. It all, it always – look at the Astros. I mean, the Astros won the World Series because their pitching was really good. Gave them a chance to run into a couple and for a couple of guys to be elite offensively. That That's sort of the name of the game when you're facing these big-time teams. This is where the Blue Jays are at. So, you like them as a playoff team? Are they a finished product? For me, they're not. So, But I, I'll tell you, when I thought of Chad Green, I was thinking, man, this is better. Like, this is what you need to see them doing. It's – you know, I like Zach Pop. But do you want to give the ball? I like Nate Pearson, but is he going to get the ball in the seventh and eighth inning in a playoff game? So there's some unknowns there. But man, if you're if you're a Blue Jays fan, you like where this team's at. It's just it'll be interesting and intriguing to see how they just finish it. How do you finish it? And I'm with you. Just you know the the people that are left doesn't seem like it's good enough. They got what they got right now. Trade deadline will be really interesting to see where their team's at, how big of a run they're going to make on it, and who they call up. I'm with you. You know, sort of the Orioles thing. We we all saw the Orioles, how their bullpen looked. Uh, you couldn't have – if you fell on one of the guys in the bullpen, you wouldn't know who they were. Blue Jays sort of need that guy. They need a surprise. Who would it be? Be interesting to see that too. Well, the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame announced its class of 2023 on Wednesday. And uh, Jesse Barfield, uh, part of that great Blue Jays outfield, will be inducted in St. Mary's this year. June 17th in St. Mary's is the actual date of the ceremony. Uh, he'll be joined by Denny Boucher, a uh, Canadian-born pitcher. And I actually covered the game where Denny Boucher pitched to Joe Siddle, a Canadian battery huh. in Montreal. Rich Harden, who, if you, if you didn't get a chance to see Rich Harden pitch because his career was, uh, was ruined by arm injuries... Find find YouTube of Rich Harden pitching, because I'll tell you what, if Rich Harden fell out of the sky right now, given the way medicine is these days, man, I mean this guy this guy was absolutely filthy. And 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 kudos to to Joe Wishar, who uh, is a longtime manager, coach, and baseball executive in Manitoba. Um, I'm a little proud of Joe Wisher. Uh, he was a guy who coached teams in Morden, where I grew up, hockey teams, baseball teams. The the baseball field there, the senior men's field, is named after him. Uh, he had three sons, who, all of whom were terrific hockey players and terrific baseball players. Randy was the captain of our high school hockey team for a couple of years. Um, he He's one of those people that, uh, look, at every community, every small town has a Joe Wisher, is the guy that, when something needs doing, whether it's coaching the team, getting the field ready, or taking the kids to the game, uh, he, he's 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 one of those people. So big shout out to Joe Wishar as well. That is the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame for uh, 2023 as well. Uh, a couple of inductees from 2020 uh, will be honored and will attend the ceremony. Jacques Doucette. Longtime Expos French language broadcaster, a lovely man. He was named to the hall in 2020. Of course, COVID 
has kind of had an impact on how these ceremonies are done. As I mentioned, John Olroot, Blue Jays' first baseman. Uh, I mean, Kevin, I, I'm thinking of swings. When I think of John Olroot, I think of John Olroot. I think of Sean Green. Mm-hmm. Guys who just had, ugh, I mean, their swings, it, it was like it was like artwork watching these guys swing the bat. Just never mind the results. Just the actual sight of them swinging the bat just the 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 movement the however you want to describe it john olroot is right up there as an all-timer kevin i always tell people the most you you don't want to get too carried away when you start talking about just aesthetically pleasing things but two of the memories i have if you say to me baseball two of the just the actual sights the sounds the motions one seeing john olrood swing the bat and sean green as well again great and two i always tell people standing behind doc gooden when he was with the mets watching him snap off his curveball in spring training on the field those are things that Man, I just I, I cannot describe the people, but sites that you always in your mind's eye always remember. And and uh John Olrood is gonna join us in a few minutes to talk about his career. We've got some questions for John Olrood. We're gonna ask him from listeners, and again, you can always DM us. Twitter handle is SN Jeff Blair. Kevin, what do you think of when I say the name John Olrood? Yeah, well at level swing, uh patience. Uh, he, you know, effortless, which is sort of that repeatability of no matter what the count is, you have the same exact swing. The bat plane is, always looks the same. Uh, the length of your swing, uh, you know, the Griffey effect sort of where when it gets in the zone, it stays in the zone longer than everybody mm-hmm. else. That's how you're able to hit close to 400 is you're, you're trying to hit the center of a, of a wooden bat with a baseball. It's not always the easiest thing, and it starts with your lower half. And just sort of that – two-strike approach, oh, oh. I walk to the plate, my lower half, my hands, my hip rotation all look the same no matter what the count is. I used to try and do that. It's impossible. Sometimes you want to get big and sexy. You know, John O'Rourke's not the smallest of men. You know, every once in a while you want to get frisky. It just seems to me like he he really stayed within himself, which is not the easiest thing to do, line-to-line. There's not a ton of true line-to-line guys, Jeff. Like, you know, hit it where it's pitched. Sometimes you have to learn how to do things. And I can't wait to talk to him about, you know, sort of trying to learn how to get the head out. That's bigger men, longer arm guys have, you know, if they have one little bugaboo, it's how do you beat the pitcher to the spot with the velocity. And it just, it's, you know, he's one of those guys you'll never forget. I think that's what you sort of, when you say his name, you picture it right away. Like yep. it's no, there's no thought process into, oh man, it's John Oder. You remember, you see it, you picture it, you can see, man, everybody dreams about, especially if you tried to do that in your career, you can see trying to do that in a batting cage. It's, I can't wait. Cause there's not a, there's not too many of those guys that are as big as he was. that just went up to try and hit a ball as hard as he could hit it on a line drive line to line. It's not too many of those. And he was one of them. 58.2 war player, 255 home runs, 295 career average, 1,230 RBI, a career OBP of 398, career slug of 465. That works out to a career OPS of 863, 129 OPS plus. He was 
a, I don't know if you call him a pure hitter, maybe. He was certainly an offensive machine. John Olrood joins us next. It's Blair and Barker, wherever you get your favorite podcast. June 17th in St. Mary's, Ontario, the Canadian Baseball Hall of Fame will induct its class of 2023. It will also give the hall a chance to celebrate the class of 2020, of course, as we said, with COVID and everything. There's been some disruption uh, in these things, but uh, we're finally all getting caught up with it. And uh, John Olrood, uh, the class of 2020, will be at uh, St. Mary's this year, and we're very pleased that he's taken time out to join us today on Blair and Barker. John, uh, again, congratulations on, uh, on on your induction into the Canadian Hall of Fame. Thank you so much uh, for your time. You know, be- before uh, before you came on, uh, Kevin and I were just were going over your career numbers, and I was talking about um, you know the the uh, your swing basically and how there are there are things i saw when i was a baseball writer that have always stuck with me just the the actual physical act of the swing uh doc gooden's pitching uh, especially his curveball i mean pedro martinez's changeup just all these things you can close your eyes yeah. someone can say this to you and you can absolutely see it in your mind's eye i wanted to ask you what um I mean, when I think of you, I think of consistency. What what is what is the key to not just a consistent approach at the plate, but a consistent approach as a ball player? Boy, that's a great question. And uh, you know, you talk about consistency, and I mean, that's the elusive thing that everybody is working towards. Um, and you know, that's what you that's what you work on. You work on your fundamentals, your your swing. You take batting practice. You know, you're trying to get your timing down, and uh, you know, be able to <clears throat> react to pitches. And um, and and that's the whole goal is how do you be consistent? Uh, and uh, that's what you fight for. And um, so, I, you know, I would say for me, <clears throat> uh, you know. I wasn't, you know, I tried to, you know, Ted Williams talking about a slide uppercut, trying to stay on the plane of uh, the pitch that's coming in. You know, that was the thing that I was working on, uh, wanting to give myself as much room for error as possible. So if my timing was off, if I was a little late, I'd hit the ball the other way. If I was a little early, I'd pull the ball. But, um, you know, for me, my timing, I was always at my best when I was, hitting a line drive over shortstop. Uh, that's when I knew my timing was awfully good. And and, um, and so I, I think that's the thing, right? Um, wanting to be able to watch the ball as long as possible uh, before you have to make a decision on it. And so that buys you more time to react to off-speed pitches uh, and, and that kind of thing. So, But, but that's, the, that's the trick, right, is trying to get as – um, consistent as possible. So uh, you're able to hit the fastball hard. You're able to react to the off-speed pitches and just have that good timing. So, John, whenever, whenever I was doing uh, some homework on you and, and I was watching video, which I've watched video of you when I was a player because, you know, you stand in batting cages, you try and be like big leaguers who came before you, and it's impossible to, to – do the things as simple and as consistent as you were doing them. But the the one thing that you read about you all the time, you hear you talk, the one word that I hear is patience. 
And I remember I was a left-handed hitter, and I, I tried my hardest to do that. And even when I was listening to you talk there, you sound like a very patient person. Like everything starts from the ground up, and it's connected. And, you know, if I do it right and I'm patient with it and my front foot lands where it's supposed to land, everything will go where it's supposed to go. I'll hit the ball as hard, and hopefully it ends up as a result that I want it to end up as. But I want to ask you about that word patience. Did, did you – are you just born a very patient person or is this something that somebody told you about? Is this something in the cage that you started to develop or how did you come up with that patient thing as a hitter? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I I would say probably uh, the thing that uh, built the patience is, um, you know, uh, just hating making an out and not being able to take a good swing and hit the ball hard somewhere and so, uh, you know, I, you know, it's, it's making out swinging at bad pitches. And then, you know, you go, gosh, I, I'm going to really make sure that I get a good pitch to hit. And I'm going to take that borderline pitch, even if it's a strike. I, I don't feel like I can take a good hard swing at it and, and, you know, that I may have to reach for it or whatever. I'm going to get a good pitch to hit. And, you know, that, that also was a negative for me, you know, uh, sometimes when I was struggling. You know, I would look for too perfect a pitch and, uh, you know, uh, wasn't aggressive enough, um, you know, um, on pitches that were that were strikes. But, OK, it wasn't perfect. And so, you know, sometimes looking for that perfect pitch, I wasn't as aggressive as I should be. And, and so uh, so patience is good to a point, but you can take it to the extreme and have it be a negative. Uh, but but that was the thing. I You know, I didn't want to take a bad swing early in the count, uh, you know, and hit a weak ground ball or, you know, pop up. I mean, it still happened, but, right, I wanted to have a good swing where I'm balanced. I'm, you know, if, if I make good contact, I'm going to hit the ball hard somewhere. And uh, so I wanted to make sure I had that good swing until I got two strikes. And then two strikes, then you're battling, and, all right, you can get fooled and be reaching for a ball and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, my my mindset was I wanted to take my good swing, be able to hit the ball hard somewhere, you know, early in the count. Uh, and if I didn't get that pitch where I felt like I could do that, and then I got to two strikes, well, now I'm, I'm battling. And, you know, if I have to, um, you know, reach or take a bad swing or, you know, just put the ball in play, um, I, I could do that. But um, early in the count, I wanted to make sure I got my good swing. When you're flirting with 400, uh, a hitter don't have too many weaknesses. But is there one, you know, certain zone? Is it plate awareness that, you know, a young John Olerud was in a batting cage going, if I can correct this or correct may not be the right word. If I can get to this a little bit better, everything else will fall in place and I'll be the best Olerud that I can be. Is there one one spot that you really honed in on to try be, to be better at? Yeah, I think that year in 93, the thing that I did uh, the best was <clears throat> I had a real short path to the inside pitch. And, uh, and so, you know, uh, you know, they talk about letting the ball travel uh, on the outside part of the plate so that you can drive the ball the other way. But then on the inside part of the plate, you have to be a little quicker to get to that, get the barrel to that ball. And uh, I just had such a good path. Uh, to that inside pitch that I was able to, you know, get the timing close to being the same. Uh, 
same swing for the outside, same timing, you know, and if I'm a little quicker on the inside pitch, uh, I don't have to start as soon on the inside pitch. So I, I think that was the big thing. If I could get to that inside pitch and not feel like I had to rush to get to or start sooner to get to it, that just made me better on the outside pitch. Um, and it uh, allowed me to uh, react to off-speed pitches better. So uh, that was the thing in my mind that made that year so good is I just really had a good path to that inside pitch and could get the barrel there easily. And uh, and then it just made uh, the outside part of the plate, you know, um, that much better. And, and the off-speed pitches, uh, better able to react to those. John, I'm sure you get asked this, but uh, are we ever going to see a 400 hitter? You know, uh, that's a good question. I, you know, um, I would have to say, uh, yeah, I think so. You know, I mean, I, uh, watching Ichiro break the single season record for hits, I wouldn't have thought that that would have been done. Mm. Um, because, you know, some of these old time records that you look at and you just go, come on, how did, how did somebody get that many hits? Or how did somebody get that many RBIs? Or, you know, what was going on back then that, you know, or a pitcher that had that many complete games in the season. And so, yeah, you think that uh, they're impossible. 400, you know, with so many specialized guys, um, you know, they don't let the starting pitcher go three times through the lineup. So, you know, you don't get to get a sense of, you know, as a hitter, the more you see a guy, the more you're used to seeing his off-speed pitches, you know, how he wants to pitch you. And then he gets tired later in the game. So a guy throwing a complete game, uh, you know, you'd get more looks at him. You'd get a better sense of how he was going to pitch you and, and uh, see more of his pitches come in. So, you know, that would help you later on. Now we, you see a guy two times, then you have a specialty reliever guy come in and then another specialty reliever guy come in. That's going to make it um, a lot more difficult for somebody um, I think to, to hit 400, but at the same time, it's, it's awfully hard to say, Oh, nobody's going to be able to do it, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, uh, Tony Gwynn, uh, George Brett, you know, they were awfully close to doing it, you know, mm. uh, relatively within uh, the modern era where you start having more relievers come in. So I think it's going to be very difficult to do, but I, I, I it's hard to say that nobody's going to be able to do it. John, you're you're a great hitter. Whenever you hear the words "launch angle" to hitters, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, yeah, I, that's a good question. You know, a lot of these new stats that they have uh, that analytics is talking about, I'm not sure what they're talking about. <laughs> uh, but so, launch angle, I guess, is the the angle that uh, the ball leaves the bat or leaves the. Uh, so you have a launch angle of 45 degrees. That seems, uh, you know, optimum for a home run. Um, but, uh, you know, I was always, you know, just trying to hit the middle of the ball. And I had enough trouble trying to hit the middle of the ball, you know, to hit a line drive. So, I, you know, I don't know how you get, how you uh, try to get a certain launch angle. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering how, uh, I, I was trying to picture you guys having a discussion about launch angle back in the day, and um, I don't know if that would necessarily average matter when John played, right? It, we, you can't you yeah. couldn't hit two ten playing well, first base when he played. 
Yeah, but I also think that I, I remember Philippe Alou used to talk about this and, and, and other people in baseball as well used to talk about, you know, a lot of new terms and that we had old terms for it. <laughs> we just, you know, yeah. we just, we, we called it, we called it something, we called it something a little different. We got a question for you actually from a, uh, from a listener. And uh, this is, uh, it's, it's something I'm glad, I'm, I'm glad we have you on because it's something we've kind of talked about, but. Uh, this is from uh, well RWE, uh, uh, which is not his Twitter handle. I think his Twitter is musked, is his Twitter handle. But um, question for John Olroot: How has uh, philosophy changed? Hitting philosophy changed since your playing days, and especially you know th- things like protection and guys earning their spot in the lineup, right? Because I think what you see now a lot of times, John, you well know, the analytics will say, well, this guy's going to hit third today, or, you know, this guy's swing path matches up with this guy. So sometimes lineups are set that way as opposed to what we used to say was a player, quote-unquote, earning his spot in the lineup. How do, you, how do you feel about that? And did you guys have to earn your spot in the lineup? Um. Oh, I think that that was the the manager's decision as to what he thought would give uh, the team the best chance. You know, I mean, right? We you would have, uh, uh, you know, at the top of the batting order, somebody that could get on base well, you know, and then uh, you know, third and fourth were your best, third, fourth, and fifth were your best hitters because, you know, hopefully the first two guys would get on base and then those guys would be able to drive them in. Um, so, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, it's similar in that they're going to the analytics and they're seeing the, you know, they're trying to figure out, you know, who has the best chance and what makes the most sense. But, um, yeah, um, yeah, I, I don't, uh, you know, as far as earning your spot, you know, like I say, usually the guy with the best average would be hitting number third. Uh, you know, your number two guy would be a guy that, uh, you know, if you're talking old school, the first guy would get on base, he'd steal second, the second guy would get him over to third, and then you'd have your third and fourth guy that would be good at getting him in. Uh, so that would be the perfect first inning um, with the lineup. Um, so, you know, and if you had home run guys, that was great, but, but you didn't really bank on uh, home runs as much as, uh, you know, everybody's looking for today, it seems like. John, of course, the Blue Jays right now are in a position where they have Vladdy Jr., they have Bo Bichette, they got George Springer. I mean, they've got a they've got a really good lineup. They've spent a lot of yeah. money on pitching. They're up against the luxury tax right now. Now, back when you played with the Blue Jays, it was a different era, but the Blue Jays at one point did have the highest payroll in baseball. And, you know, that was yeah. when you guys were winning World Series. I wanted to ask you about the whole concept of, of windows. Like, do, do players realize when they look around a clubhouse that, you know, this is a great team and there's a sense of urgency. We, you know, we need to win something we need to win something soon. It would be fun to win with this group of guys, fun to celebrate with this group of guys, but now we got to get at it. Did you guys realize that? Was there a sense of urgency in 92 and 93 to win? Uh, well, I think there's always a sense of urgency. I mean, you always want to win, and even you know if you don't necessarily have uh, the best team, <laughs> you know, you still want to win. You, you want to uh, make it to the playoffs. And, and that sort of thing. So, 
Uh, I think when you when you have a bunch of guys on the team that are quality players and you know you're capable of uh, competing against the top teams, then you really feel like you have a shot. And yes, you want to make the most of it, and you want to win as many uh, World Series as you can. It's just uh, you know it's a challenging thing. You know you have to have a lot of things go right. You have to have guys have good years. People stay healthy and. Um, you know, pitchers have good years, pitchers stay healthy. I mean, there's just a lot of things that have to happen. It's a long season. And, um, and you know, you want to be playing your best ball at, uh, you know, the end of the season. So it, it's difficult and, and uh, you know, you have to have a lot of things go right. But, you know, it's definitely on the forefront of everybody's mind that they want to be on a winning team they want to be on a championship team and they want to make the most of the opportunity that they have especially when they're on a good team that has a a good chance to do it john listen we really appreciate your time today thanks so much again congratulations and uh we look forward to seeing you at saint mary's on june 17th thanks john yeah thank you be well that is john all right great the great John Olrud, and we talked about this before he came on, Kevin, just the, the hitter he was, and uh, 19, uh, 1993, flirting with, flirting with 400. Um, you know, I, I mean, there, I've always told people, there are two records I'll never see broken. I'll never see DiMaggio's streak broken. I, I, don't, believe, I don't believe that's necessarily going to happen. And as good as hitters are now, you know, a couple of things. The emphasis on power, I think, takes away the possibility of uh of a 400 average and i also you know i get the sense that everybody's got velo now and you know the idea that you might get a guy like hit 400 you got basically get two hits <laughs> you got to get two hits in a lot of your games to get 400 right kev and a yeah, lot of times they... you're not getting that weak ass starting pitcher more than two or three times do they right? pay You're... for average anymore? That that's the thing, right? If you want to see guys hitting for higher average, I think taking away the shift's obviously going to help, especially yes. the left-handed hitter. It's going to open up some holes in that guy up the middle. It'd be interesting to see, you know, if that even helps. Can you because you still can put somebody, you know, at least really really close to second base up the middle. Right. Yeah. I, I just yeah. I think there's a lot of reasons why that is. It's it's. You know, average is not as sexy as it is anymore. John was talking about that, about the, you know, you, you were hitting in the order about how high your average was, right? That, you right. know, your run producers are hitting cleanup because they're the cleanup hitter. The higher average guys were getting on base, they were hitting in front of them. That that was the whole thing. It was really cut and dry. It's not that way anymore. So Yeah, I thought I thought he his interesting hearing him bring up Ichiro. Ichiro is a guy that I could have seen hitting 400 just because of the – just, he's the just, whole field could hit lefties, the high velocity, the elevated meter because he's yeah, he kept his bat in the in in, in the, the bat path. He wasn't stayed trying over to hit home runs. Time. No, I, I found it I found it interesting to hear John Olderud think about the '93 season getting to the ball end. It, mm-hmm. You know, and the patience, that was a big key for him is don't be in a hurry to get to it, right? Stay within yourself. Stay balanced. Have the same landing point. Don't get out there and get it just because of where the ball is is at. I think that's, you know, interesting to hear a guy that can hit the way he can hit. Talk about yeah. just the ball in because that's what we always talk about, right? The guy can hit the ball in. Well, I bet you 
because I was one of those guys. Plate awareness is a tough thing on the ball end, especially with velocity the way it is now. It's not the easiest thing. You have to be a little bit more mechanically sound to get to that ball in, especially when you're a bigger guy, longer arms. Swing right. has to be better, has to be shorter and quicker. So interesting to hear a guy talk about that who's flirting with 400. Yeah, 1993, flirted with 400. 1994, Tony Gwynn at the time of the player's strike was hitting 394 Oof. at the time of the player's strike. Kevin, 110 games. He had 165 hits in 110 games. Just looking at Tony Gwynn's. Uh, Tony Gwynn, the, the, I mean, for me, the best pure hitter I've seen. Uh, Barry Bonds, best hitter I've seen. Best pure hitter. Guys, are, guys are not able. You know, a lot of guys are not able because of organizations and what they're asked to do, just to yeah. go up and try and get hits, right? They're not trying to hit the ball out of the yard. They're not trying to stay in the big part of the field and create create backspin. They're not trying to be those kind of guys. You're just trying to be the guy to go up and put barrel to baseball and get a hit. It's kind of cool to watch. Uh, well, it's that time of the show now, that time of the podcast, where we go to listener questions. Um, DMs are always open uh, for listener questions. And... Uh, Generally, when we're doing a pod, I give people a gentle reminder on Tuesday night that our DMs are open and um, a reminder that we will be taking listener questions as well when we get back on the air at Sportsnet 590 The Fan. And uh, you can stay you can stay tuned uh, or you can follow me on Twitter at SN Jeff Blair and I'll let you know when we are returning and uh, we'll obviously we'll be returning with an hour-long show, and then once the baseball season starts, the show will be expanded. But uh, I'll give you uh, I'll give you folks an idea of when that will be. We'll pass it on to you as uh, soon as we get it, because I, spring training, man, as I mentioned, just a just a couple of weeks away. And and uh, Kevin, that gets to a, a listener question that actually just landed in my landed in my. My, my DMs a couple of minutes ago, and somebody has heard us talking about the World Baseball Classic. And a uh, question for you, Kevin Barker. First of all, oh, this, is, this, is, this is a many, there's a lot of texture to this question. The first part is, if you were a major league organization, would you be worried about your players going to the ba World Baseball Classic? Now, the Jays are going to have some guys going to the World Baseball Classic. Would you be worried about it? And secondly, if you were a player, what, how would you have greeted possibly going to the World Baseball Classic? If I'm an organization, absolutely. If I'm the Blue Jays, I'm, I'm, having a, I'm going for a championship season, and I see Vladimir Guerrero Jr. going, who the Dominicans have a good time playing baseball. There's going to be a lot of jumping around. If you notice, Jeff, that, that lineup's pretty good. They're going to be scoring a good lot of runs. That dude's going to be running around the bases like crazy. Yeah, I'm going I'm to be looking away from the TV. You know, could take one little thing. Am I wanting to take it away from him? Probably not, but I will – you know, voice my concerns when he goes there to try and make sure he's okay. Uh, you like Jordan well, Romano closing for Team Italy? I'd, I'm more worried about the pitchers, honestly, than anything else. Yeah, maybe. I think the pitcher side of it, I think the, the managers of these teams are going to be real careful because of the conversations they've had with the organizations. For me, I think the worry is a little bit more of the position players. That's mm -hmm. just me. 
And yep. the other side of that as a player, I think it's all this, – this is just me anyway. I think it's all about are you an established player or not. Correct. Yes. Because if, I, if I'm not an established player and I'm trying to get paid and it's a big season for me at the big league level, I may have to think long and hard about – do I want to go and take a chance of getting hurt and not being able to get that contract that I need to feed my family and make sure my family's taken care of? So there's a fine line there between yeah. that player and that organization. But interesting conversation. That's a great question. Yeah. Let me ask you this. If you were an established player with a new team, what are you doing? I, so yeah, you're an I established it's, guy. It's you're a free agent money guy. You're making. I really do think right. it's about that. M most of the time, the guys that are making the, the tons of money have been around a while. Maybe been with multiple teams, understand what it takes to be that guy, what it takes to be with a certain team in spring training, what it takes to get themselves right and ready to go for the big league season. So, yeah, again, I, I just think it's that guy on the bubble. Right, it's that guy trying to make – it's like a Bo Bichette. Well, I mean, trying to get paid – it's a big year for Bo. Yeah. I'm, I'm, again, it's like those conversations you have to have with yourself. Is it well, really worth it as a player when I'm trying – it's my job. I and we already know make as much money as I can make. I get you know, hurt. And, and it's going to be hard for me to do that. There, there, I mean, there are decisions involved here. The Seattle Mariners, Luis Castillo, and the Seattle Mariners have spoken. He's not going to the yep. World Baseball Classic. I mean, I, you know, there, it's, it's – it, we have the same thing with the NBA. Well, with any sport where you have these all-star games or these these tournaments, there is a there's a balance here because yeah, it's great. Everybody wants to play for their country. Everybody wants to get paid too. And the thing about baseball is, um, you know, unless you are a star, you know, if you're the 25th guy in the roster, like I don't know about you, Kevin. If I'm the 25th guy in the roster, I'm keeping my ass in Dunedin. Like, I just am. I, I I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to. And you know, and you know what? I'm also tr trying to take advantage of the opportunity, the extra at bats I might get in a couple of weeks, because a guy isn't there. You know, that's what you want to do. That's an opportunity to showcase yourself. A lot would go into it about how yeah. many at bats you think you might get and going to that. And this it's, it's funny how that would work. It's funny how a good player thinks about their career, what they yes. should and shouldn't be doing. Uh, I owe this question. Stewart, whose Twitter handle is Devin Travis 29 has been on my ass for two months about Matt Gage. And Stewart, for whatever reason, I, I just got a for whatever reason I didn't get to uh I, I didn't get around to it. Now I am, of course, because Matt Gage has been DFA'd and I You're know a big uh, fan too. Well Stewart is not Stewart is up Stewart is upset about this. I have to admit, Kevin, I think a lot of people looked at that. Well, we saw it in social media. You know, uh, Matt Gage, Thomas Hatch, a lot of people surprised that Thomas Hatch is still in the 40-man roster. Matt Gage, lefty reliever, put some decent numbers up, seemed to be competitive. Uh, you surprised that he was DFA'd? No, Matt Gage is a trickery guy. Like, you want a championship with trickery guys, he's got enough of them. I mean, Adam Simbers, Tim Mazes, Trevor Richards, you can throw Anthony Bass in there with the slider. Like, they got enough trickery guys. I, I, I will say you can't have enough depth at the minor league level where you could call some guys up and you don't abuse them in regular season, you're going to need guys like that. Thomas Hatch, a multiple winning guy. That, 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 that's the one thing there. That's the difference. There's more value for a guy that can give you multiple innings than there is a guy, a guy that's basically a specialist. And I'll give you this, Jeff. You have no idea what Matt Gage in 2023 would give you. 
Do you, you have any idea? Like, no. you have no idea if the invisible sinker, whatever that thing is that he throws, is going to be any good this year. You're trying to surround yourself with predictability, which is they don't have a ton of that. And I just think with the way they showed you what they thought of him last year, at the end of the season, they think of him more of a minor leaguer than a big leaguer. And if you think Mm -hmm. it's an organization about a guy in that way, you might as well cut ties with him, let him move on, maybe can catch on with somebody else. Senor Blue Jay, bringer of mojo. You like that Twitter handle. Love the podcast, getting my hometown Blue Jay fixed while living in Australia. Life's tough living in Australia. Man. How do you compare the upcoming Bo Vlad contracts to what happened with Green and Delgado? Four young budding superstars, but on the other hand, the Jays of 99 were floundering third place team owned by Interbrew, had no interest in owning a pro team as opposed to playoff contender owned by Rogers, who loves the sports content for their platforms. Uh, the, the, the reason I'm mentioning this is because, uh, well, well, a couple of reasons. I don't think, Kevin, and and I've thought about this a little more as we get close to Bo's arbitration hearing, which has got to be, God, it's got to be just around the corner. Looking at the way this front office has has spent money, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the podcast, it was always going to be hard to sign Vladdy and Bo. Uh, Vladdy's service time has put him ahead of Bo in terms of you know, in terms of of, uh, of arbitration eligibility and and salary, but you know, I also think there's enough money coming off the payroll next year that I I just don't think I don't think it's going to be a matter necessarily of ownership committing money to these guys. I think it's going to come down to do these guys want to stay here year round and are they willing to or not year round? Do these guys want to stay here through the first couple of years of free agency and how much are they willing to give at the end of their contract versus how much they're going to get at the beginning of the contract from the Blue Jays? I, I'm not at all worried about ownership's commitment here. I just, I, I, I just think the clock may not be in any. It just may be dictating things here, especially with Bo. This may just be one of those things. You know, we had Jason Stark on last week. We talked about Shohei Otani, and his point was, how do you value Shohei Otani? You know, if you're the Angels. Maybe you just keep Shohei Otani all year and let him go because you're probably not going to get equal value in terms of a trade. And I don't know. We might be at a point where they just have to go year to year with Bo. It yeah, as an, organization, as an organization just taken from an outside view, you'd have to ask yourself as a fan of both of those players, does this organization want to or do they have to? Or, or is it both? That's a great right? point. Like, you, you have to wanting and want, wanting to do it and having to do something. Or two Absol- absolutely. And you got to thank yourself right now. Let's be realistic. If you're going to sign one of the two right now today because of the aircraft carrier thing, it's going to be Vladimir Guerrero Jr. And if you do that as an organization, Jeff, who would you tick off the most? Probably that dude playing at shortstop. So if you're an organization and you don't have to sign either one of those because of the, what age they are and where you're at payroll-wise, you mentioned it, 240 that's a lot. That's a lot of money, dude. Mm. And what you're trying to do and where you're trying to go as an organization, I just right now don't see it. And I think we talk about it way more than they're talking about it, and I include the players. Simon Massey, last question of the day. Again, another listener from Australia. Uh, he's asking you the same question he asked last year. Which position do you think 
the Blue Jays are most are it in at what position are the Blue Jays most vulnerable to an injury? Uh, he says for him the same thing, same answer as last year. Bo Bichette at shortstop. Uh, Bo Bichette gets hurt. You've got a little bit of cover with Santiago Espinal. Maybe some guys in the minor leagues. A guy like Addison Barger comes up. Uh, but Kevin, to me, it gets back to I. I just pitching man uh i mean all if if kevin gossman goes down alec manoa goes down you know this changes a bit if if jose barrios has a bounce back year but to me it gets back to pitching uh where they are the most vulnerable i think they can probably you're never going to replace Bo offensively i don't think but you could probably get by replacing him defensively i just I just don't know about starting pitching, though. Yeah, I'm with you. It's all, it's always about pitching. You you could look at the catcher position too, the one you traded away, the depth, mm, that, yep. the bigger bases. What if Danny Jansen gets hurt? Can Alejandro Kirk handle the load? Yeah, Mad- manufacture runs that way. I do think the Manoa and Gosman thing with the you know the different schedule this year, not playing the American League East as much, you could weather that storm. Okay. I think a little bit longer because of the schedule. Uh, the Vladimir Guerrero Jr. thing. I I just think if you lost him say a month knock on wood that that's not going to happen yeah. if you lost him how do you make up for that like i i whatever you thought of his year last year i mean you're still looking at 30 and all of a sudden i don't know if you read the the thing that came out the fences are closer at the rogers yeah. center and it's closer in right center and that slider going down in the way to vladdy all of a sudden now that low t thing that they were trying to invent last year for vladdy to try and figure out how to hit that thing now you don't have to hit it as hard and we've seen it at this park jeff when vladdy thought he got a ball to right center and it didn't go out the hands went in the air mm-hmm. he's throwing the bat and the helmet was being thrown now all of a sudden those are homers so i'm thinking to myself if there's one guy you can't do without for long periods of time, I get it. Always be pitching, and there's key pieces there. You know, you could think about Jordan Romano, regular season, you lose that, now what, those kind of things. How do you make up for 30-plus saves? I just think if you lose that big boy at first for uh, quite a bit of time, those don't grow on trees. I can't make up for that production. That's it for Blair and Barker this week. we got a couple more weeks before spring training starts, spring training starting early. For guys who are going to the World Baseball Classic, uh, we will be talking about the World Baseball Classic because we get a little closer, get a little better idea of some of the rosters. We've already seen the Dominican roster. <laughs> I just shake my head. <laughs> the Dominican roster is is give it to him now. Uh, yeah, and you know, and and the other thing about the Dominican players is it it means a ton to them. They're going like to try. It, oh yeah, that's yeah. what it is. They're going to try to win. They are. They are going to be. They are going to yes. be trying. And uh, we'll we'll talk about the World Baseball Classic as we get closer to that. Of course, we'll keep you informed the, all the Blue Jays news and uh, everything you need to know as we get set for the 2023 season. If you like the podcast, please give us a five-star review. Uh, as always, you can find us wherever you get your favorite podcast. And a reminder, once we get our radio schedule firmed up, and it's that close to being firmed up, uh, we'll uh, we'll let you know when you can hear us again on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and the Sportsnet Radio Network, and we've got some uh, we've got some stuff planned this year that we think you're going to like. So uh, follow me social media SN Jeff Blair, and uh, well, 
Enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy your weekend.